So we're going to do a bit of a leadership session um, tonight because we're all leaders. And um, anything we learn about leadership in the house of God is, is for the benefit of the, the kingdom of God and for the ministry. But we to take that to home and we to lead in our homes. We're to lead in the marketplace, in, in, in business, education, entertainment, sport, family, healthcare, politics, media, whatever sector of society uh, we work in. Um, but just to give you a bit of a background of Karen and I, um, we're both first-generation Christians in our family. So... Um, um, we and, and our families have come to know Christ, and so we thank God for that. Um, um, both our mothers live with us now. Um, both our fathers died a few years ago, three, four years ago, um, from Alzheimer's. Um, and they lived with us as well. Um, and sometimes they used to, um, we had kind of two little cottages on our property at Sometimes they'd leave there and we'd go and find them and then we found out they found each other and we're reintroducing themselves to each other. So we had just left them. <laughs> but um, God brought us through that and our mothers were phenomenal um, with our fathers. Karen came up to me and she said, you know, I've been watching your mom, how well she treats your dad and your dad's quite rough on her and they had, you know, they had a tough marriage and all that kind of thing. She says, but I want to tell you, if you get Alzheimer's, I'm not going to be that good to you. <laughs> And I, I, you know, I appreciate the honesty up front. And we've told our kids, you know, what to do if, if that happens to us. So she said, could you go to your doctor, a wellness expert, and just get medication just to make sure you don't get Alzheimer's? So I went to a doctor, and he prescribed a whole lot of pills, and it was really quite expensive. And so I came home, and I said, no, I've got a whole lot of pills. And then she, about a month later, she said, how's it going? I said, I just keep forgetting to take them. <laughs> so, uh, so I gave up on that idea. <laughs> that didn't work. So, um, but we have three children. We actually have four children um, because our, our eldest son is, is married. And so we count Bronwyn as our daughter. She's also my spiritual daughter, and she came to know Christ um, when I preached in our youth once. They didn't invite me back, really. Anyway, and um, so um, Amy's our eldest daughter. She's um, 27, 27. And uh, Amy, we named her Amy because Amy comes from Latin love. My name's David John. David means beloved. John was the apostle of love. So I'm just very lovable if you take the time to get to know me. Not a joke, Karen. And um, so we uh, named Amy Amy. Um, when, Amy's, uh, when Amy calls me on my, my phone, um, the identity is Amy the Beautiful. It rings up my phone, Amy, because every girl needs to know from her father that she's beautiful. If she doesn't hear it from her father, the most important man in her life, she'll try and find out if she's beautiful from another man. And I'm not, I wasn't going to let any pimpled-faced, testosterone-injected <laughs> man tell my daughter she's beautiful, you know. She's going to hear it from me. And so um, even as a teenager, she would buy a new pair of jeans or an outfit, and she'd come, Dad, what do you think? Do you think this makes me look beautiful? I said, no. No clothes make you look beautiful. You make everything you buy look beautiful on you because you are beautiful. You Amy, the beautiful. Sometimes we walk in a shopping mall and we sent her to finishing school after high school because we sent her to government school and they didn't do a good job finishing her. So we sent her to finishing school. And, um, so, um, and, um, and, um, but she would sometimes dress very scruffy or very casually when I was walking in a shopping mall. 
And, um, you know, um, we made a decision that we're going to be affectionate with our children. Our parents were not affectionate um, with us. We were brought up in a generation where children are being to be seen but not heard. And so we said we're going to be our children's best friends. So we're going to not only be their parents, but we're going to be their friends. So we'll always be there to listen to them. And we'll show them appropriate affection in, throughout their lives growing up. And so with Amy, um, as a young lady getting dressed and walking around the mall, and she was kind of very casual that day. And I remember saying to her, Amy, would you please walk a couple of paces behind me because I've got a reputation in town <laughs> and I'm the pastor. And then what happened, she squeezed right and gripped my arm and tucked, which is exactly what I wanted. And uh, we've always had we've always had a very close relationship. Amy, Karen, and Amy are really best friends. They talk all the time. And through her teenage years, Karen was brilliant because whenever a teenager wants to talk, they want to talk when they want to talk. And the time they want to talk is not always the most convenient time for us. But we need to drop everything. And Karen was brilliant like that with Amy. So we have a great relationship with Amy. She's getting married in uh, September, and so she'll be moving out. Uh, Amy the Beautiful. Our eldest son, Joshua, we call him Joshua. Most of my calling for the ministry came out of Joshua. Joshua is a great leadership um, study. So if you want to study leadership, study the life of Joshua. And Joshua is our eldest son. And uh, we named him Joshua. And, and when he, his number rings on my phone, it's Joshua the Strong. Our son, Murray, our youngest, is Murray the Brave. Murray the Brave. <laughs> and uh, we named Murray Murray because... Um, Murray was born six months after we planted the church, and we wanted to reach unchurched people, so we gave him an unchurched name. And we liked the name Murray, and um, we have a bit of Scottish in us somewhere. I have a British passport because my mother was born in Aberdeen, Scotland. And so, um, hey D, you, you and I go back, right? Yeah, yeah. We, are, we got like ancestors somewhere. And. Um, and um, so um, Murray the Brave and Joshua the Strong, because every boy needs to know from his father that he's strong, that he's brave, and he has what it takes. Because masculinity is conferred from a father to a son. And if a son doesn't hear it from his father, he'll find it in a team or a gang or somewhere else or from another man. If he's a man, does he have what it takes. And so we have three beautiful children. Joshua is married to Bronwyn. Um, Bronwyn lost her dad when she was 10. Her mother is a kind of biker chick. And her mom kind of really just kind of abandoned her. And so she was really an orphan at home. Drugs, drinking, rape. She'd been through everything. But she came to Jesus. And uh, so she's our daughter-in-law. And Joshua and Bronwyn have three children, Nathan, Jaden, and Michaela. We have three grandchildren. And they're just the love of my life, our lives. And so uh, we have them over to sleep most weekends. Well, not most weekends, but often. And the Fridays, I get to pick them up and spend time with them. And so just love them so much. I remember taking Nathan downstairs one day, and he was disruptive and wasn't sleeping, let his brother sleep. So I said to Nathan, Nathan, what do you want to be when you're big? He looked up from his peanut butter sandwich and said, an adult? (laughs) (laughs) Just love grandkids. So don't kill your kids because they're going to produce grandkids. And so they're worth keeping around until they have 
grandchildren. And so uh, they call me Papa. Nathan once asked me, he said, Papa, are you the boss of the church? I said, that's right. He says, no, Jesus is. Yeah, but I work for Jesus. <laughs> um, so, um, and so we, ha- we have uh, five campuses in Johannesburg. We have one in Dar es Salaam. Dar es Salaam is a 50, uh, 60% Muslim city. We want to plant uh, churches in the most densely populated Muslim cities of Africa. So that's our first one. And um, um, Leon and Allison know Etienne Rani, our campus pastors there. And so I've been twisting their arm over lunch to go because um, Etienne and I need counselling, and I can't think of two better counsellors <laughs> right now. And so um, they're great. And uh, we want to plant churches all over Africa and then in Europe as well, especially with um, uh, um, the migration of Muslims out of Muslim nations into Europe. That's a huge thing. Yeah. And so we've been working with Bulgarian pastors to try and ascertain how do we represent Jesus to Muslims and build churches where you don't have to be Western to be Christian. Because really, that's not in the Bible. But can you still love Jesus and not be Western? And so that's a great challenge. One of our elders, uh, we call him Pastor Theo, he's a real apostolic guy. And he plants churches all over Africa. And he goes to Muslim nations in North Africa. And he feels a, a specific calling to Europe as well. And so he is incredible. He, he tells me that 70% of Muslims who come to Christ in North Africa do throw through, through miraculous visions, dreams, and supernatural healings. He encourages me when I meet a Muslim, just mention the name of Jesus. And Jesus will do the rest. And so he goes, when he lands in places like Algeria, the secret police follow him everywhere. They sit with him at coffee shops. Um, and he's, he's, he's fearless. He's bold. And um, God is doing incredible things amongst Muslim people in North Africa. And he tells us of absolute miracles that God is doing. God loves Muslims so much, he'll do miracles to win them to himself. Amen. And if Jesus loves Muslims, we ought to love Muslims. Amen? So um, don't, be, don't be scared or petrified. Uh, more, I think the more militant Islam becomes, the more it will lose any vestige of spirituality it does have. So this could be our finest hour. And we couldn't get into Muslim nations to plant churches. So who knows if by some design, God works all things together for good for those who love Him, called according to His purpose. What if God is allowing all this to happen in Europe so that we can plant dynamic churches full of Muslim people who will be worshipping Jesus? Wouldn't that be cool? I think God's up to something, and it's great to be alive. This is a great age to be alive, isn't it? So go with me. I, I said to you, I'll, I'll show you how I got to 23,438 people that Jesus fed today. It's in the Bible, and I want to show you how to get revelation from the third heaven without having to be DJ McPhail. <laughs> I just want to share my secret and give God all the glory. So we're going to pick it up in, in, in Matthew 14, verse 13. When Jesus heard of what had happened, he withdrew by a boat privately to a solitary place. 
Jesus was sad. The reason why Jesus was sad. It's okay, it's okay, let, it's okay let the demon come out. Come, let's come. <laughs> <laughs> sorry, sorry, sorry. I'm being naughty. <clears throat> so, so Jesus said, what has happened is that he's just received news that um, John had been beheaded. He lost his head. Um, which is kind of rough, because they were good friends. They were actually related. But, but, but remember, John said, I must decrease. Anyway, <laughs> um, okay, let's move on. Uh, um, okay, that lunch was so good. Um, verse 14, when Jesus landed... Um, Oh, uh, hearing, hearing of this, the crowds followed him on foot from the towns. So he wanted to be alone, but the crowds still followed him. Paparazzi. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on him and he healed the sick. Jesus just wanted to be alone, but the crowds followed him. And listen to this, he had compassion. Jesus is all about people. Church is all about people because the church is his bride. By the way, let's make sure that we never take hold of the, any ministry in the church or any our opinion in the church so tightly that we leave our fingerprint on the bride. This is not our church. This is his church. This is the bride of Christ. As evening approached, the disciples came to him and said, This is a remote place and it's already getting late. There's no McDonald's, there's no drive through there's no KFC. Send the crowds away so that they can go to the villages and buy themselves some food. What I like about the disciples is that leaders identify problems. This is a problem. There's a crowd of people and they don't have food. And they've been listening for a long time to Jesus and he's healing their sick but that takes time and they haven't had anything to eat and so they identify the problem so number one leaders identify problems you know, I walked into the ch our church the other day and I walked in and there's a piece of paper lying on the ground I thought to myself who's supposed to pick up this piece of paper I mean I'm the senior pastor I'm the founder of this church I speak at great places. And uh, I felt like the whisper of this word. Who do you think you are? You can pick this piece of paper. See, when you have ownership, that problem becomes my problem if I love God's house. So I'm not going to walk in and order people. I'm going to pick up the piece of paper. So the person behind me sees an, a, a tidy, excellent church with excellence, honors God, and inspires people. Our leaders identify problems. Right? Now, their solution to the problem is to send the crowds away. Sometimes we can be in ministry so long in the church that although we were initially called to serve people, we start seeing the people as the problem. And the solution to the problem is to send the people away. No. I, I sometimes I Pastors say, I love the ministry if it wasn't for the people. Well, if you're in the ministry and you don't like people, leave the ministry, please. You're in the wrong place. 
you know? Go and find a job where you don't have to deal with people and we don't have to deal with you. In Jesus' name. Because I love you. Let's invite him. And, and so, so um, the, the, and look here, you, let's give these 12 bodyguards, I mean disciples, a, a bit of a break here. They're trying to find a solution. But their solution is to send the people away. Jesus replied, they do not need to go away. You give them something to eat. In other words, leaders take responsibility. You give them something to eat. So often we, with our staff, we've developed a culture that we want staff and volunteers to identify problems because they're leaders in the church. But if you identify a problem before you come and see me or go see your direct report, um, come up with three solutions, possible solutions. Because a leader is not just someone who can identify a problem. A, a leader is someone who can find a solution. There's a solution to every problem. And that's what leaders do. Leaders are people who have initiative. Uh, how, do I, how do I can I tell if someone is becoming a leader? Do they take initiative? Do they solve problems without a fanfare? Without announcing how brilliant they are? Do they just solve problems? Do they take initiative? If you want to be a leader in the house of God, use your initiative. Now, it depending on the, uh, on the size of the task. I mean, if it's picking up a piece of paper, you can pick up a piece of paper. But, don't, but if, if you feel we need to start a new ministry to um, people who need to be delivered from McDonald's, well, um, because our bodies are temple of the Holy Ghost, uh, don't start a new ministry without submitting it to the leadership in the church and so that your initiative has a channel or has a, 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 an arena to be discussed and to be prepared because there's a way we do things here at Zion Church. But what Jesus does is he, 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 he puts the ball back in their court, seeing that Wimbledon's starting soon. You, uh, you give them something to eat. Verse 17. We have only five loaves of bread and two fish. You know, often the prayers you pray as a leader and as a Christian, God will ask you to be the answer to your own prayer. What do you have? And sometimes what we have, we always feel is insufficient. But sometimes we overlook what we do have. Because God can always take what you do have and what you do present as part of the solution, as the beginning. Don't despise the day of small beginnings. Well, I, I'd love to be in the worship team, but I can't play the guitar. Well, first get a guitar, then go for lessons, and then practice, 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 practice. And then we'll give you an audition. Well, I don't know if I could help out in serving tea. Well, go and find out what you could do. How you, well, um, I, I, um, I'm not called to sing in the choir. I'm not called to, to lead a life group. I don't know if I could do that. Well, what, has, what has God put in you that you can use for His glory? You see, God took nine months putting gifts in you, passions in you. Your genius is your passion and your talent or your gift. Your genius, let me say this again, your genius and everyone's a genius somewhere. Your genius is your passion plus your talent stroke gift. So what has God, what are you passionate about? Another way to work out what you're passionate about is what irritates you? What ticks you off? Uh, King James says, what causes you to be vexed in your spirit? Modern translation, what ticks you off? Right? 
Message Bible. No, um, um, I love the Message Bible. You can preach anything out of the Message Bible. Um, but but well, what ticks you off? Listen, what is your, uh, Bill Howells puts it, what is your holy discontent? If, if you can't, be, you know, I can't watch movies where children or women are hurt. I just, I can't do I can't do that. Switch the movie off. Men, no problem. Just kill them. <laughs> yeah. but that's okay. I like violent movies as long as men are dying. But what, so, but what, what is, is, is it orphans? Is it children? Is it, is it teenagers that are on the street and got no parents and no leadership? Or, or, you see, if that, if, that, if that causes angst somewhere, maybe that's a passion that God has equipped you to do something about. Then find out who's doing something. And what, what's that ministry with the cycle ministry? Phase, phase, yeah. So, so find out what, you know, what can you do? Can you serve there? Um, some people are called by God to make disgusting amounts of money for the glory of God. There, there are people in church, um, we, we don't want you to sing in the choir because we heard you sing. <laughs> and that's not going to give God glory. If we give you a mic, things are going to happen. Demons are going to manifest. No, um, but listen, if you can... If you love making money, don't be consumeristic and materialistic. Make money to the glory of God. And what if God would allow millions and then billions to flow through you because you submit your business to him? There's a young guy, Karen and I, are mentoring in the States. And um, I've been, we've been working with him for, for a while. Um, and and this, this young guy is, is such an incredible entrepreneur. And the way he's running his business now is absolutely phenomenal. And the result is he is making millions. And I won't be surprised if he's making billions soon because he's doing it for the glory of God. For instance, uh, uh, when his um, st- uh, people that work in his factory floors, when they do well, he sends them on mission trips whether they're Christians or not. And you tell me which American doesn't want to go to Africa. Right? Everyone loves to travel. And so when someone does well in his company, performance appraisal, they get a bonus. Plus, him and his wife get to go to Africa to serve widows and orphans. Well, you go and serve widows and orphans, and you're not a Christian, and your company pays for you, and you watch God use you, and you don't even believe in God. I want to tell you, you come back believing in God. And so his people are coming to Christ and his company, and he's hardly even preaching the gospel. He's just sending them mission trips, paid for by the company. How cool is that? He's a family man, four children. He loves his family. So when we were there recently uh, uh, in upstate New York, he, he, um, he, he, they hit their target. So, they're doing so well. He closed the factories uh, for one day. And, and at the company's cost, he put on a huge party for every worker, their wives, their kids, jumping cars, everything. They had a great, because he believes in family. He's got biblical values in his company. No wonder God can trust him with big money. I think so many times, you know, I've asked God to trust me with big money. I said, God, please, please, you, you, can, you, can, you can trust me, <laughs> you know, and, and, and it's coming. And, um, but, you know, it's, so isn't it true that sometimes you, you see people like Britney Spears started off as a Christian. Now, she's got an incredible gift, but she didn't use it for the glory of God. Um, Wimbledon, um, Andre Agassi. Remember when he started? 
You know, I, Michael Chang. I don't know where Michael Chang is now. I don't know. You know, are they still serving the Lord? I don't know. But you hear about these Christians who get onto the sports scene and boom, and then they get the glory, and they get the girls, and they get the gold. And then you don't hear about them anymore. Because Israel never did well with blessing. Israel never did well with blessing. But I believe that God can bless you. God, demons manifest in the front row, which is always encouraging. Um, come out, you foul spirit. And uh, um, so, so, okay, where, where am I here? Um, so use what you have. If you can make money, then make money to the glory of God. And don't apologize. Say, Pastor, we had a great quarter, and I'm not going to apologize. And in fact, this check for a million pounds, I'm not going to tell you where I want it to go. Because it's not about me, it's about you. I trust you. God put you in my life. I'm submitted to the vision of this house. And so whatever you can do with this million pounds, I'm going to hand it over to you. And that, by the way, it's my tithe. It's over and above my tithe. So it's what God's doing in our company. Imagine you could do that. I'd like to do that. I want to be one of the big givers in our church. We have miracle offerings in our church. I found out the other day that Karen and I, in, in one offering, we were one of the biggest givers. Oh, well, that's not good. I mean, it's good. I, I don't mind being a big giver. But we are the people that can really give. Anyway, don't let me get me started. Um, you give them something to eat. So they had only five loaves of bread and two fish. And Jesus, verse 18, said, bring them here. Whatever you have, bring it to Jesus. And he directed the people to sit down on the grass. These are the first people on grass. Um, <laughs> taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, he said grace, gave thanks, and broke the loaves. I don't know if you say grace at every meal or if you buy your monthly groceries and say grace over the trolley. I don't know how you do it. But if you're ever hungry and you want to learn the quickest grace, I'm going to show you the quickest grace. Now, you've got to watch. I'm going to first do it for this side because it's very quick. And then I'm going to do it for this side, okay? But if you're, at a, if you're hungry and you want to thank God, I'll start with this side, okay? He has the quickest grace. Are you ready? Did you get that? <laughs> okay, this side. Let's see if this side will get it. Anyway, that's the quickest grace. These are leadership. You should be taking notes right now. <laughs> you know, in South Africa, this is very deep. <laughs> he looked out there and gave thanks. And then he gave them to the disciples, and the disciples gave them to the people. I love this. Jesus blesses the food. He gets the people to be seated in groups of 50 on the grass. And then he delegates it to the disciples. A leader is never threatened to have someone rise up to be a leader alongside them, with them, or even to lead better than they do. I think so often what happens in our churches and in companies and, and, and what stifles the economy is this, that when I'm, a number, when I'm a six out of a ten leader, I only hire fours and fives so I can stay a six. That is not very clever. But even if it's my business or my ministry that I'm in charge of, or if it's my church or it's my department, the smart thing to do is to hire people that can be a six or a seven and can grow to a nine or a ten. Why? Because everyone benefits when a leader wins. Everyone benefits. 
the company, the department. And by the way, we will never be short of leaders in the business world and leaders in church world because there's always more people to reach for Jesus. And there's always, listen, churches shouldn't find, fight over members. Shouldn't be competitive one another. When, the only time churches in Birmingham should be competitive with one another is when there is one sinner left in Birmingham. Yeah. And then maybe the best church win to get that one sinner into church. But I tell you what, if there's only one left, we're going to be so gracious. No you, no you, no you, no you. Right? So, so leaders empower other leaders. Jesus delegates to the disciples. Listen, delegation is, I do it, you watch. I do it, you help. You do it, I help. You do it, someone else watches. That's delegation. It's releasing people to do it as well as you did it, if not better. Don't we as, as, as parents and grandparents want our children to do better than we did? If that's true for our natural children, it ought to be true for our spiritual children. He gave them to the disciples, and the disciples gave them to the people, and they all ate and were satisfied. And the disciples picked up 12 baskets of broken pieces that were left over. And the number of those who ate were about 5,000 men, besides women and children. Okay, so let me tell you how it happened. And this is where I get to 23,438. This is what I think happened on that day. This is my take on it. There's a huge crowd of people. Now, the Bible says 5,000 men. Whenever you have men, you always have more women. When you have men and women together, you've got lots of children. Okay, it's just natural geography. I'm in biology. So, uh, so there's roughly 23,438 people that day. Just roughly. Okay. Because it says 5,000 men. Because in those days, they didn't count women and children. Because in those days, in a patriarchal society, men and women, didn't, uh, women and children didn't really count. But thank goodness we live in a day where women and children count. Amen. By the way, the children's ministry in this church is so important. Because children's ministry is not just looking after your little mom, uh, children. It, it, it's, it's discipling them and catalyzing spiritual hunger within them so you can disciple them at home. It's not the church's responsibility to disciple your little mom's uh, 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 children. And that's our responsibility as, children, uh, as grandparents and parents. But the church acts as a spiritual catalyst to develop a hunger within them. Right. So this is what I think happened. 23,438 people. I think Peter got the disciples together behind a rock. He said, hey guys, Jesus has been teaching for a long time. He's been healing a lot of people. These people are hungry. And I count that there are roughly 23,438 people. And, and he says, you know what Jesus always says? Sharing is caring. Now that didn't make it into the Bible, but I think Peter said that to the disciples. <laughs> and, and, and he says, you know what Jesus is going to ask us to do? He's going to ask us to share our lunch. So I reckon we eat now. <laughs> Where do you think they got the 12 empty baskets? Where do you think they got the 12 empty baskets? They ate their lunch first. That's why they had 12 empty baskets. And then Peter went up to Jesus. 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 Excuse me, Jesus. Excuse me, guys. Time out. We've been here a long time. I know it's not in the run sheet, but we're just going to talk to Jesus, right? 
Gee, you've been teaching a long time. And uh, people are very hungry here. So I reckon you send them away. And Jesus said, you feed them. Okay. Can I get my people going back to your people? Okay. Um, Jesus said, we, we, we must feed them. And then there was a little boy walking back from school with his lunchbox. What is it with these kids? We make them lunch and they never eat it. Does that happen in England? Does that happen in England? We make them lunch and they never eat the lunch. My grandson, I have a little lounge at church where I can have some quiet time before I go preach or whatever. And, um, and there's a little fridge in with some cool drinks. And after church, they run in, usually after the second service, they run in and say, Papa, can we go to your office and get a drink? And I say, of course you can. I'm, you, know, you can do whatever you want to do. He's most probably going to be the next pastor anyway. So I don't want to discourage him. So they run in, and they, they know the code to my office, and they're in there. And they get, I found out that my, 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 my seven-year-old grandson took a Coke, and he sold it to another kid for 30 bucks. <laughs> His mother was so cross with him, and I was so proud of him. <laughs> I mean, if some dumb kid wants to buy it for 30 bucks, like our church is for everybody, right? And so, um, so, so... So this kid comes past the lunch, and Peter says to the kid, hey, what's that in the tree? As he looks up, he takes his lunch from Birmingham, and um, <laughs> from Wales. Um, and said, so Jesus, all we got, a couple of loaves and a couple of fish. And the Bible says that Jesus gave thanks, sat the people down in life groups on the grass, and he, um, and he gave them to the life group leaders to distribute amongst the people. And the Bible says there were 12 baskets left over. Now, surely if Jesus is the Son of God, he would know exactly with all 23,438 how much capacity in each person's stomach there was, how, how much each person would have, um, um, which people from hell's own have, have more than their normal share. Um, he, he would know everything, right? But Jesus never does just enough. He does more than enough. Because there were 12 baskets left over. So the disciples each had takeaways. 12 baskets. But I think Peter, feeling remorse at this stage, would have given a basket to the little boy. And said, you go home. What did he tell his mother that day? Johnny, did you eat your lunch? Mm, it's not that easy. Yes and no. You never eat your lunch. I always make your lunch. You never eat. Well, mom, there was this guy, Peter, and then there's Andrew, and I can't remember the other guy. And then there was this guy, Jesus, and, and they took my lunch. And then they fed me. So I gave my lunch away, but then I ate some. In fact, a lot of people ate my lunch that day. I mean, don't make a cross now, but a lot of people ate my lunch that day. And you know what? Jesus said he loves you so much, Mom, that I brought you your own basket. Because we were 12 baskets left over. When you serve the purposes of God as a leader, 
and you give and you give and you give and you serve and you serve and you serve and you clean and you clean and you clean and you get here early and you prepare songs and you prepare classes for the children and you prepare for the youth and you clean the facility and you pray for the church and the prayer stream and you serve and you serve and you serve. I want to tell you, there will always be baskets left over for you and you will live a miraculous life when you serve the purposes of God. There is no greater calling than to lead by serving in the house of God. There is no greater honor. There is no greater organization on the planet that has the mission, intensity, and beauty that we have to reach people and prepare them for an eternity with Jesus Christ, to rescue them from an eternity without Jesus, without love, and to prepare them not only for the most beautiful place they'll ever be, but they will be the most beautiful people in that place. Not only will we walk on the streets of gold, but we will be the redeemed of the Lord, the most valuable, more valuable than gold, more valuable than silver and diamonds. And to serve in the house of God, there is no greater honor. And thus endeth my teaching on leadership in Jesus' name. I don't know if you want to do any Q&A, Leon, um, and ask anything about church or serving in church or anything like that, and then we can um, uh, wrap it up. Because I know you've got work tomorrow. I think it would be really great with DJ here. You know, they're obviously a bigger church than us and five campuses and growing the whole thing. Be great if anyone's got any any questions. You know, I think when you've got leaders here like this, it's great just to, to you know, open it up. So if anyone's got any questions, please just stick your hand up and give your microphone and make them really difficult for him. Especially after all his digs at me and Simon today. So make it make it tough. Does anybody have a, have a question that they want to ask? We're all gone quiet now. Here we go, Matt will. Thank you. Where does Leon buy his shirts? That's a good question. DJ, talk us through some of the growth pains of, of going of starting the church and then growing it. Yes, growth pains. Wow, Karen. <laughs> um, I think if, as a pastor, you know, when you call into ministry, you call to love people and to serve people. And I think as the church grows, and once a church goes beyond a hundred, it is impossible to know everyone to pass everyone, and to know what's happening in everyone's life. And so um, any creature that grows bigger than nine inches needs a skeleton. And so church needs infrastructure. And as church needs an infrastructure, um, that's where life group leaders, um, counselors, life enrichment, or whatever you call them in, in your context, that's where delegating and passing ministry out like Jesus passed out to the disciples to feed the people. Jesus didn't feed all 23,438 people. The disciples, and I'm sure the disciples could have even got other people involved. So one of the great joys for me as a pastor is when I hear that in some life group, they clubbed together and they bought a single mom a new set of tires for her car. Wow. Or when I hear someone landed up in, in an accident and went to hospital, but I don't have to go visit because the life group leader or someone in life group went to visit and they've organized meals for the family and it's just and they're just telling me it's 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 covered and and i think for every um 
growth spurt or uh, ceiling that we went through, um, th there's new um, complexities. But if we keep, and, and, and we never serve the structure, the structure always serves us. So we're always tweaking our organigram, our structure, we're always changing things to make it work better. So I was saying to Leon at lunch, for instance, um, having five campuses in Johannesburg and seven campuses all together, I'm still really only working with five or six people in our executive team, which are, I've always worked with five or six people. It's just their roles have changed, and the executive team then it cascades down the organization. So straight after our exec meeting, they have other meetings where what happens in that meeting cascades down to others, so everyone in the loop. I think one of the toughest things that we faced is, is, is accurate communication. I've never really been good at keeping everyone in the loop, and our church is involved in so much. You know, we, we have a safe house in Bulgaria where people um, we rescued out of human trafficking can get discipled, healed up, get some business skills, and reintegrate into society. Um, We've we got AIDS orphan homes in Johannesburg, three of them, first class, first world AIDS orphan homes. We've got 33 kids in those homes right now. We're involved in all over Africa. And so there's a lot going on, but sometimes it's hard to keep the church up to date. And that's why our media department is so good. I love your news and the way you do your news, and we communicate a lot through that. So if, you're, if a leader is okay with letting go and trusting people with responsibility and authority because they carry the real DNA of the church. That's a great thing. Um, but, but those are some of the growing pains, is letting go of things you used to like doing or even you were good at doing, but there's someone who can do it better than I can or better than Karen can. Karen was at one stage our general manager. We have a young lady right now who's taken over from Karen, and she is phenomenal. And even Karen will say she's... Ten times better than Karen was at that job. But Karen can only, well, we can only do what only we can do. So we have to release people to do what, and, and um, so to see people excel in their passion, their genius, is fantastic. So it's always raising up more and more people. And I, I love the way that you guys do it as well. You've got an emphasis on leadership and raising up people. Cool. Pleasure. Yes, one of the Just talking about leadership and just um, with young people and developing young leaders in the church and the intentionality around that. Do you have a program for doing that? Do you have a strategy that's kind of from, led from the, from the exec for developing young people in leadership? Um, do we? <laughs> I, think, I think throughout our church we have every leader has to have an assistant. So anyone is welcome at any leaders' meeting because as much leadership as we pass down and as much of our heart as we can pass down, the more understanding there is of where we're going, what our heart is, and what we want to see people do. So every single leader from a, a children's church small group leader has to have an assistant. Right up, all the way up, teenagers, assistants, small group leaders, many leaders that we can put into leadership as possible. If there's a, um, a, a teenage, um, the youth band, the um, young adults band, they all have leaders and people that they're teaching. So all the time we're trying to raise up leaders. Um, and I think that's, yeah. So uh, in that way we do it on the job training. And then we also do leadership seminars where we teach our leaders. And obviously in line with the mission, vision and values. Because if you've got everyone in alignment 
with your mission, vision, and values, you'll know it's much stronger to, to go in one direction. So, yeah. And we also bring a lot of alignment through our vocabulary and our values and our behaviors. And um, all our staff members are told, you're not just on staff to do a job, you're on staff to build a team. So all our staff members need to be people who can build teams because the more the church grows, the more teams we need, uh, volunteers we need. And um, so there, there are some structured programs, but it's, it's, we talk about it all the time. Once a month in the executive meeting, we would look at all our stats. So, um, you know, how much money came in, how many people came into church that month, uh, you know, what, what is happening in the youth program. Like the, one of the youth groups right now, we're just asking some, we're asking some difficult questions. We're having some awkward conversations because the, the youth has hit a, a, a lid. So is that youth leader, could he take them to there, but now can we, is he not the one to take them further? And if he's not, we're not going to keep him there because if God hasn't equipped him to take it further, then God has equipped him for something else. And we don't want to keep him out of the best promise and preference, preferable future God has for him. And then we don't want to keep uh, have a blockage where someone else could come in and take this forward. And so we never... We may change seats on the bus, but if, and this youth leader I'm thinking right now, he's really got our DNA, he's called, but this may not be his sweet spot. He did well until now, but can we have that conversation to say, you're struggling here, so what, do you need training, do you need help, do you need resources, or do you just need to find, go into another area of ministry? And so, um, yeah, we'll, we'll do that. One of the growing pains um, is that when you start a church, um, as you grow, some people don't have capacity to grow any any further in their leadership, and so it's um, being able to put them in the right place, um, and that's a hard thing because often we prepare our people that if um, there's someone better than you that can take it further, we're going to put them above you. And so um, all the time is that expectation that structures change, but it's all for the kingdom of God. And though we misplaced, our identity is not in our role, um, but our identity is being in the right space for the right season in our lives um, in the church. You mentioned about multi-site and different campuses and locations. Can you just talk to us about when you were one location, you know, like we're one location, what was the process for launching out and then what have you learnt about multi-site and about growth? Because you obviously grew a lot through going to different locations. Just just any quick learnings on that? Yes. Um, um, we, we, we were kind of... Um we jumped into multi-site by default um, because we had a church that we planted that wanted to become one of our campuses. And then I was offered to be the pastor of a church um, of 800 people. And I said, no, I can't be a your pastor, but I could help that church become a campus of ours. And I could be senior pastor over two. And so that was a process. Then we also, in 2013, we planted four churches in three countries on two continents on one Sunday. <laughs> we will never do that again. <laughs> but it, it's something I felt God speak to me about. In fact, I wanted, I, I felt I, I wanted to plant five churches. 
and um, I submitted to our eldership. Listen, thank goodness for good elders. And for our elders are yes men and women who have the ability to say no when they have a check in their spirit. I don't want to be surrounded by a whole lot of red lights. I'm a visionary leader. And so Paul uses three words for elders, presbytos, poimen, and episcopus. Presbytos are the elders who, Presbyterians, uh, presbytos, who guard and guide the vision. Uh, Poimen are the pastors, and episcopus are the overseers or the managers. So we divide our eldership into three areas. Managers uh, 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 with finances and organization. Pastors, and then those who guard and guide the vision. They, separate, they operate separately with the authority of eldership over them. But when we make a big decision, we get them all together, pray and fast, and make a decision where we want a unanimous decision discerning the heart of God. Um, what we did when we planted the four campuses on one day, what it did is it, it uh, catalyzed people to go on a mission where they didn't have to leave their country but could move 20 minutes down the road for the cause of Jesus Christ, feel like a missionary, be like a missionary, serve, and go and start a campus in a new community or a community 20 minutes away from us where people, if you wanted to invite people from that community, to invite someone who's unchurched or far from God to travel 20 or 30 minutes is a tough call in our context on a weekend where people just want to relax. But if we put a church there and that church was had the same DNA, vision, and values as our church, then, then people would relocate to help us start a church there because they lived in that area. And then they wouldn't want to come back to the home church because that was just like home church. It's a home away from home. By the way, that's the same word as apostle that Jesus used. And he, start, he took the word apostolic from the Romans. And the Roman centurions who extended the Roman Empire on Caesar's behalf, their mandate was to create a Rome away from Rome so that Caesar could feel at home at a new Rome. I want to be a black rapper when I'm older. Um, but, 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 so that's what, that's, what, that's, what, um, that's what apostolic is. It's taking the kingdom of God. So liberty and DNA in 20 minutes away, 30 minutes away in a new community. It's much smaller. It's intimate. But we would ask people to sign up for three to six months and go and help us start the new one. Four key things you need to plant a campus. A pastoral couple who are sons and daughters in the house who carry the DNA. And when you, when you cut them, they bleed Liberty Church. Or when I cut you, you bleed Zion. That's the kind of leader you want. You need, and then you want a children's uh, a leader who bleeds the DNA. You want a worship leader who bleeds the DNA. And you want a production team. You guys do an incredible, girls, guys and girls do an incredible job. We couldn't do church with all this technology. And we started off with 80% DVD preaching, so technology was very important. I, I think campus model is, in a sense, better than church planting because I think more people would plant churches if they were tied to a family that supported them and loved them and looked after them. I know lots of guys and girls have gone out and planted churches and they got a church of 20, 30 people, 50 people and, they, and, they aren't, and they're lonely and they're discouraged and they're depressed. And so I think um, campus planting is just the way to go. And by the way, it's happening worldwide and, and, and it's happening globally. And I think it's fantastic. It's a, it's a move of God. I don't know if that helps, but that's um, my thing. Good. 
Great, thank you. DJ, I want to ask you to do one more thing before we finish. You spoke When you spoke this morning, you, something that really impacted me was when you said about, and I think you mentioned it tonight, that you felt that almost like God was pulling back the curtain. And like these are all leaders here in this church who carry, they all, you know, bleed the vision of this church. Um, and, and we've been through quite an interesting time, and you know some of that now that we've shared that with you. And in terms of growth, like we've been around this 500 mark for a long time. It looked like we were growing past it the last few weeks since Easter. We've dipped down again, um, which is really heartbreaking for me. Um, And I think that with the whole frustration with the building and stuff, what what I wondered, could you pray over us? Could you pray over us? And whatever, and maybe Karen as well, whatever you feel. Can we stand, guys? And can we stand? And then we'll maybe worship as we finish tonight. But maybe you could just pray over us. We'd love to pray for you. You know, our building burnt down as well. We had, um, we actually had just bought a building, and the guys who were still in that church had a market, and our building burnt down. And um, and we had to rebuild, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And you know what? It's not the end. It's you guys are adapting. You're transitional. You're getting ready. It's going to be a new wineskin, whatever you do from here. New wineskin. And don't worry about the journey. God's people were in transition all the time. They moved on. You know, it's not about a venue. It's it's about moving with the cloud. What is the Holy Spirit saying? Is this going to limit you that you have these issues that you're having to deal with with insurance and whatever? No ways. Never, never, never. Yes. The Holy Spirit is still doing That's stuff. Right. He will do stuff. Yes. There's a reason in your heart that you're feeling uncomfortable, disappointed, whatever. But we adapt. Yeah. And we carry on. Good. And so trust God for that because yes. there's a reason. He, God, God, no one can stop God. Amen. You know, Amen. No one can stop God. So in all of this, he's got a plan. Amen. Yeah. Will you pray? And yes. I'll pray. Yes. Let's pray for this church. Yes. We love these guys. Yes. And we believe God's going to do something great yes. here. Thank you, Jesus. Yes, Lord. Lord, this morning when, we were, when I was here, I just said, Lord, there's an open heaven in this place. Yes. Yes. Lord, I pray for an open yes, heaven God. to continue, Amen. that your word, Jesus. that your Holy Spirit would be able to move yes, easily yes, in this place. Yes, Lord, I pray for this community, oh, yes, that God, many people would be drawn here, that Father, each leader would yes, go to a new place in their lives with Jesus. I thank you for the worship team that are absolutely inspirational. They've got a gift on their lives. Lord, I thank you for these young interns that have been brought in. There's a reason why they've been placed here. Father, we thank you for what you're going to do. And we pray in this place vision again. We pray fresh anointing. We pray every leader will move on. That no leader will stop growing in God, but they will move on each one of them. That there will be people that take out the giants. Father, I thank you. What could be done with a whole group of people like this? who love you, Jesus, and who are full of the Holy Spirit. So, Father, we pray for a new anointing and a blessing over this church in the name of Jesus. May Zion Christian Church move on. May the kingdom of God come through each person, young people, old people, God. May your kingdom come and may Birmingham and the surrounding areas never be the same again. 
thank you that you're moving in this nation, God, a nation that has given so much to the world in terms of Christianity. God, we thank you. But Lord, we ask for pioneers again. We ask for people that are risk takers again. We ask for people that do mighty things for you, Lord. Even, Lord, as we heard about Thomas this morning, St. Thomas, with St. Thomas's churches all over India. God, may Jesus. you do with individuals the most incredible things as they devote themselves to you in Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord. Yes, God. Thank Father, you. I pray for a new confidence um, on, on Leon and Allison, on Simon and Dee, on, on the leadership of this church. And we rebuke the strategy of the evil one who comes to steal to burn down and to destroy. And we declare that the gospel will shine even brighter from this day forward, that there will be baskets left over, that I, I pray for an abundance. I hear the sound of abundance coming, abundance of finances, abundance of leaders, abundance of children, abundance of teenagers, abundance of young adults, abundance of fathers and mothers, abundance of grandparents um, who, will, who will bring blessing through their experience. And I thank you, Lord, right now that your kingdom will come on earth, right here in Hells Owen, as it is in heaven. Let your kingdom come. Let your world be done. Holy Spirit, fill us with more of you. And now, Lord, I pray your blessing on Zion Church, that there's the sound of the bride of Christ in this house, that songs will be written here that will be sung all over the world. There's a new sound in this house. It's the sound of a bride. She's excited. She's going to meet her groom. She's getting ready for the greatest day of her life. She's getting ready to be a mother in Israel, that this church would be a, will, will, will give birth to other churches, to campuses and to churches, that people from all over England will come here to find this mother and this bride in her beauty, the sound of the bride, the look of a bride, uh, the perfume of the bride, the scent of the bride, the glowing of a bride. And I speak right now your beauty, your brilliance, your significance, your splendor and your value, your glory, your kavod on your people right now. And so bless this church and make this church a blessing to this nation because we believe you're going to do great things in this great nation in Jesus mighty name and all God's people say Amen, Amen.